Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. Good morning. So great to have you here. Uh, as Anna said, we are actually week two, not week one, into the standard. Yes, last week was the intro and this week we're going to get right into Unpacking the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, to just see what it is that Jesus taught about how the kingdom of God works. And uh, it's vitally important for us to understand that. And like Anna said so beautifully last week, and if you weren't here last week, um, I, I encourage you, I don't normally do this, but uh, jump online and have a listen. Go to Spotify, iTunes. It was it's really worth uh, listening to capture the essence of what this series is all about. Um, and, and so we did look at just interrogating our, uh, the sources of what informs us. We are all informed by something or someone or some things or some ones. Lots of things inform us that shape us how we think, shape our decision-making, shape our behaviours. And it's really important to actually pinpoint what those things are and then go, are they helpful? Are those things that shape who I am and how I think actually helping me form a life that is fruitful and blessed? Or are those things not creating that in my world? And ultimately they lead to, as Anna said, the standards that we live by. And ultimately the standards that we live by should, as Christians, lead to bringing glory to God first and foremost. The result should be that we bring good to other people in how we live and how we work. And, and, and thirdly, it should bring joy to our soul. So the standards we live by should glorify God be good for other people around us and bring joy to our soul. And that's why Jesus is the standard by which we must live. In order to be a disciple, Jesus must be the standard. Um, so when we become a disciple, discipleship is this process of renewal we looked at, that we are renewing ourselves. Uh, there's a, a big theological term called sanctification, which means growing in our, uh, our Christ-likeness. But um, when, when our renewal becomes viral, that's what they call revival. When, when many people get on fire for God, seek Him, dis, uh, seek their discipleship growth and development, and that burning desire grows and intensifies, that actually is when revival breaks out. So today we're going to jump straight into Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 to kickstart uh, our series on the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, which is alive and living. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it cuts right through to the core of who we are, our, our very intentions and motivations. And so this morning, I pray that you would just open our, our hearts to receive and our eyes to see the truth of your word today, that it would shape us in the way that you would have us to live this life well. In Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew, Matthew 5 verse 3 says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to unpack that this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the first 12 verses we see in Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses in the Sermon of the Mount, are what are known as the Beatitudes. So you'll find there's about eight or nine of them that say, blessed are the, blessed are the. So here we go, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
of heaven. So this word beatitude um, doesn't really mean much. We don't use that in everyday language in 2021. But, but historically, the word originally meant in Latin, betus, B-E-A-T-U-S, betus, which means blessed, the blessed life. So uh, in first century culture, though, the word blessed probably had different connotations to how you and I would interpret blessed today. And when they heard the word blessed, they would interpret that and understand that as divine, um, divine joy or perfect peace. Divine joy, perfect peace and happiness. That's what blessed means. And we kind of see that today, but, but if we're honest, if we say that person's blessed, man, look at, their, look at their life, that person's really blessed. Nine times out of ten, how we define someone as blessed is by what's happening externally. They drive a nice car, they've got a successful career, they they wear nice clothes, they must be really blessed, they live in a wonderful house. Everything usually that we determine someone's blessedness by is external. Not so here. What we're talking about is something far richer, far more satisfying, far more sustaining. It's an internal blessing. It's an internal divine joy. This is perfect happiness that wells up on the inside of a human being when they follow the way of Jesus and his blessing gets in on their life. And as I said, it is far richer than any external blessing or thing that we could ever have. So, if we go back to Matthew 5.3 with that framework of understanding what the word blessing means, then we could interpret it and say this, divine joy, who would love divine joy by the way? Like heaven sent joy. I feel like we have media sent bitterness and media sent cynicism. I would like divine heaven sent joy to navigate my life. So Divine joy and happiness is to those who are poor in spirit, for those of the kingdom, uh, and and to those, and theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Man, I lost out. I didn't sleep last night, to be honest, because I had it. We have a very clean house, but for some reason, it's due for a pest spray, and I had a crawly over my face <laughs> last night, and. Um, I just couldn't get back to sleep after that. I was like paranoid. Um, and so anyway, that's just my problem I crossed to bear. But uh, if you're wondering why, why my words aren't working properly, it's probably because I've got a little fear of the creepy callies because I didn't sleep well last night. So there we go. Oh, it feels good to confess stuff. <laughs> it feels good. Now I feel, now I feel grace can flow, which is wonderful. Yeah. So Anna really needs to up her game with keeping the house tidy. Um, did I say that out loud? This thing's on insult mode. I'm joking. Our house is immaculate. It's just, it's next door neighbours. They're coming from next door. It's crazy. Um, so the Beatitudes, the blessed life, is a description for how every Christian should leave. Should live, not leave. Um, but you should leave blessed. So these, these blessings, these ways, these statements that Jesus gives are the standard for every Christian to live. And the first Beatitude that we see here in the Sermon on the Mount comes with a promise. Not just blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's a promise. We we are blessed. We can have this divine joy. We can have this perfect happiness. This is what God gives us. And we read that in John 10 where Jesus says that his joy be in us and be filled. But also, um, the promise is that we would have the kingdom of heaven, that ours would be the kingdom of heaven. Which we can conclude then 
that there is no one currently. Think about, think about the billions of people, right, that are now in heaven, that have lived over the history of humanity, that have found faith in Jesus, found favour in God's eyes, and now after the end of their life here on earth has completed and they've run their race, they're now in heaven. Now think about how populated heaven is. Billions and billions and billions of people. Every one of them is poor in spirit because it's the prerequisite to actually get into the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. There is nobody in heaven right now that is not poor in spirit. Isn't that crazy? So, so right here we see the first step on the ladder of the Christian faith. This is not some echelon that we need to aspire to get to. This is not, I want to go on a prayer and fasting retreat for 40 days and 40 nights to get to a place of being poor in spirit. This is the starting point. Like this is where the rubber hits the road. This is the, the beginning, the green light of the Christian life. Now, the problem is, what do we mean by poor in spirit? How do we interpret this, this phrasing, this, this poor in spirit statement that Jesus gives us? Many people have had many different ideas. Some have interpreted this to literally mean, blessed in spirit are the poor. And that's, doesn't that sound good? That sounds really Christian. Sounds like blessed in the spirit of the poor. So, so poor people, because they don't have much, their spirit is rich and they are blessed. But is, is that the word that Jesus... Like when you change a couple of words around, just because it sounds nice doesn't mean it's true. And that's not what actually Jesus taught. Jesus did not say, blessed in the spirit are the poor. He said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. So... The Bible does not teach that the poor are more spiritually healthy than the rich or the middle class. The Bible doesn't teach that. There is no such distinction, spiritually speaking, between someone's material wealth or absence of it. Because we're talking about the spirit of a person. Now somebody's wealth can be an inhibitor to them opening their spirit to the things of God, but so can somebody's poverty. And, and we just need to look around. Like This is the thing, we can fall into these, these Christian traps of believing these, little, um, these statements that sound really good, like the poor are so much blessed because they don't have the distraction of riches. But let's look at it logistically for a reason. You look at poor communities, is the crime rate generally high or low? Is the sin rate generally high or low in poor communities? Well, it's pretty high. You look at wealthy people too, and, and, and the sin rates and the crime rates are pr pretty high there too, but it's far more sophisticated and they've got ways of getting around it. So it's not a case of their spirit is richer and their spirit is more mature or more healthy because of their, their wealth or lack of wealth. That is not at all what Jesus is saying. He's talking about the actual heart of an individual. We're going to look past that stuff. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's talking about humility. Because that's, that's for everybody. That's, that's across the board, humility. James 4, 6 says that God pours his grace out to the proud, not the poor. Pours his grace out, sorry, he pours his grace out to the humble and he resists the proud. So, so God is looking for humility. Humility. 
Being poor in spirit means this. Really simply, here's, here's the picture that will help us understand what poor in spirit means. It means emptying out what once was to allow God to pour in what he needs to pour into us. It's like if you have a cup of coffee and you're halfway through it and then you get distracted to do some stuff and it goes cold, you're not going to top up that coffee with the fresh hot brew, are you? You're going to tip out the old in order to put in the new so you can have the fresh coffee that you need for you. And that's, that's like us. You don't, if there's wine left in the old wineskins, you tip that out before the new wine comes in. And so for us as Christians, we must pour out our old self, let, let go, die to ourself, pour it all out so that God can pour his spirit in us. When our spirits become poor and empty of our old nature, our old desires, our old standards, if I could say that, then we allow God to pour into us all he has for us, which is the life, the blessed life, the, the divine joy life, the, the perfect happiness life, the I will inherit the kingdom of heaven life that God has for us. That's what it means to be poor in spirit to be empty so that he can make us full. The world propagates um, a lot of phrases, and you probably see this on billboards, Instagram posts, hashtags all over the place, things like, you do, you boo. I love that because it's so rhymy. <laughs> you do, you boo. Um, if you're an older person here today, just go and see Anna, and she'll explain what that actually means after the service. I still don't really know, but um, apparently it's pretty popular. Uh, other phrases like, believe in yourself. you just got to believe in yourself. You've got this. You've got this, man. You can do it. And my favorite one is you, you, you be the best version of you, man. You just be the best version of yourself. Like there's multiple versions of you. Like, hmm, <laughs> I'm going to choose the best one. That's what I'm going to do. The best version of me. Um, but all these phrases, right, there's, there's certain elements of truth and there's certain elements of positivity and, yeah, they're, abs they're pretty helpful, right? They're, they're, they're cool and inspiring and motivational. However, what we need to understand is this is secular philosophy. This is not biblical principle. This is not Jesus' standard for us. This is just contemporary self-help stuff because the truth is our best efforts, Isaiah um, 64.6 says, are like filthy rags, so this me be the best version of myself, this, this you can do it, this you do you boo, this yeah, yeah, you go get it, man. Even the best of me being the best of me, Isaiah says, that's like filthy rags. You trying to you know, pull your big boy pants on and do it all, that's fruitless. We, we can't first start with, I got this, I can do this. We must first start with, it's no longer I who live. Christ that lives in me. This, this life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. So it's not about me being the best me, it's about me dying to myself, it's about me being poor in spirit by pouring out all of me and being an empty vessel for him to pour into me the truth and the reality of his presence in my life. Because when God's presence fills my heart, fills my soul, fills my life, that's when the renewal begins for my life and for your life. And that's when we start to, to grow and get sanctified. When Jesus becomes the standard, we become disciples, his presence now dwells in us. And Anna said beautifully before, this is an old beaten up mechanic shed that's just been refurbished and now is the house of God. So are you and me. I'm just a beaten up old 39-year-old dude with 
stuff and never knew, met my dad and, you know, I've got imperfections and I'm, I'm just, essentially, I'm like an old mechanic shop. But all that was has been poured out so that all that can be can be poured in by the Spirit of God so that I become a dwelling place for His Spirit and for His presence. And I am the church and you are the church and we are called to influence this world. And blessed are we who are poor in spirit. Divine joy and perfect happiness to you and I who will pour ourselves out so that he can pour in us and be all we're called to be. He can make us rich in spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says, It's not by strength, it's not by might. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. Your best life is not found in you. Your best life is found in God's Spirit dwelling in you to lead you and guide you to all he has for you as a disciple who chases after the great shepherd. Is this okay? I'm hoping it's helpful. To be poor in spirit does not mean that we should be timid or nervous or weak or lack courage. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 puts that to rest. God says, I don't give you a spirit of fear or timidity. I give you a spirit of power, love and a sound mind. Spirit of authority. Nor does it mean to become overzealous in our false humility just to prove to everybody how, in fact, poor in spirit we really are. It actually means the exact opposite. Romans 12.3 says, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, rather with sober judgment. What's the difference between being drunk and being sober? Well, it depends, really, on what you're drinking. To be drunk is to be filled. To be sober is to be empty. To be drunk is to be intoxicated and filled, obviously, with alcohol that changes the way you view things, you view yourself, the confidence you have. But to be sober is to be empty and void of those things. So when Romans 12.3 says, you know, think of yourself with sober judgment, it's to be poor in spirit. It's to be humble. And the problem with the world today is if you flick on the media, you follow Instagram, like the one way you become an influencer on Instagram is becoming drunk on your own ego and self-promoting yourself. And so you're actually not viewing yourself with sober judgment. You're intoxicated with how you think about yourself. And that's not the no longer I life. That's... That's the spirit of this world. That's not a poor spirit. It's not what Jesus has for us. People's skills, when we, when we become drunk on our own egos, then our skills, our talents, our abilities become the standard by which we live. And so therefore, we become a disciple to ourselves. But when Jesus is the standard, we become a disciple to him. Philippians 1.6, we've got to be confident of this that he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. We have to replace me with he. This is what being poor in spirit is. It's pouring out me and receiving he. He began a good work. Jesus initiated salvation. We didn't. We might have accepted God. We might have heard the call and responded, but that's it. Like Salvation is our response. Salvation is not our initiation. Jesus initiates salvation by his love that drew him to the cross to make a way once and for all for all of us 
whoever would follow him to, to live the life that he would have for them. So he who began a good work in us, he will see it through to completion. That takes the pressure off me. If the emphasis is on he, it takes the pressure off me to perform. And if the, if the pressure's off me, then I can just be. Ooh. Which allows me to see. I think I've exhausted it. I think there's nothing left. I think I'm done. Being poor in spirit is saying this. Less of me, more of you, Lord. Like, and this is a good way to remind, to, just a word picture. To be poor in spirit, just, just use the word play of poor. We, we pour out. We empty ourselves. We become humble so that God can raise us up. God can bless us. God can pour into us all he has for us. And in doing so, when we do that, when it's less about us and more about him, then we truly do make Jesus the standard. And when Jesus becomes the standard, we become disciples. Let's pray. I'm finished. Lord, I thank you so much for every single person that's here today, God. Lord, I don't know, I don't know the situation that people are facing here today. I don't know every nuanced detail of their world, Lord, but what I do know is that you have an incredible plan for them, that you've put them on this planet for a purpose and a reason. And Lord, I pray that you would help us discover what that reason is. Help us discover our true identity and our true purpose on this earth. And it's far more than just to live a fun life and have a job and get superannuation in the bank and then retire and then die. Well, the life you have for us is to challenge culture. The life you have for us is to stand out, make a difference, be a light in a dark place. It's to help people, to love people. And Lord, I pray that you would help us today to want to be that person. That as we look at our life, as we look at what informs our thinking, what influences our behavior, what shapes our decision making, that, that we would see that if those things are not you, that they're really not going to lead us to a life that's ultimately fulfilling. But when we follow you and you're the standard, then we're blessed. We can expe expect divine joy. We can expect perfect happiness. We can expect an internal fulfillment and satisfaction that will sustain us in this life that nothing externally can do. And let's be honest, honest, honest. most of us at, at one point or another, we have chased external things to try and fill an internal void and it's never ended well for us. It might feel good for a season or a moment, but that empty, dull ache in our heart still exists and that can only be healed and changed by an internal blessing which comes from following Jesus, being poor in spirit and pouring out all of who we are so that he can pour in all he has for us.
as his followers. And so God, in this moment, as we make this decision to contemplate our life and challenge our perceptions and preconceived ideas, Lord, I want to pray for anyone who would make that decision today for the first time to to follow you, Jesus. That they might have realized that the standard the world offers is not satisfying. It's not, it's temporal at best. It's certainly not eternal. And with every eye closed, just out of, I guess, respect for those around you and also respect for yourself to be present in this moment, to contemplate these words, I just want to ask if there's anyone here today that would say, hey, 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 Justin, I want to I choose to follow Jesus today. I want to make Jesus the standard for my life. Maybe this will be for the first time. You've never done this before, but you've been exploring, searching, and for some reason it feels like the light has just switched on in your soul. Or maybe it's time to come back to God, that, that your standard has slipped And Flip, if I'm honest, my standards slip too all the time. Jesus is not always the standard by which I live. My flesh is is at war with my spirit. Like Anna said, we've got to daily, thousands of times daily, put our trust back in him, continue to prop him back up as the standard. But if today you want to do that, make that decision to bring Jesus back. Just with every eye closed, I just want to, I'm not going to call you out the front. I'm not going to embarrass you publicly. I just want to see that who you are, where you are, and just say a prayer for you this morning to, to connect with God, to have your life shifted and changed. If that's you, just, just raise your hand real quick just so I can pray for you. Thank you, God. good God as we leave today help us do a stock take of our heart our mind help us be ruthless with challenging the way we think the way we behave the way we view ourselves, the way we view you. And Lord, help us this week to think about what it means to be poor in spirit. Are we really pouring ourselves out, emptying ourselves of the old to be filled with the new? And Lord, I pray that every one of us would experience divine joy, that we would taste perfect happiness. And you might think, Justin, I don't deserve that. Let's, let's open our eyes. Amen, I finished that prayer. Um, you might be thinking, I don't, I don't deserve divine joy or perfect happiness. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. That's the beauty of Jesus. That's why the gospel, the message of Jesus, literally means good news. It is good because we don't deserve it. 
what we do deserve is an eternity separated from God because of the things that we can identify that don't measure up to God. But that's the beauty of God. That while we were dead in our sin, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God. So we don't deserve salvation. We don't deserve divine joy. We don't deserve perfect happiness. But shouldn't that make it so much more sweeter because we get to have it anyway? We get to freely enjoy and partake of the life that God has for us because of his immense love for us. Is that a license to sin? No. It's a license to enjoy all that God has for us. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.